Our first text, please, in Proverbs 22. Proverbs chapter 22, just one verse. Verse 28. Proverbs 22, verse 28. It says, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy father hath set. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy father hath set. The second scripture text is found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6, please. The Lord calls to Israel and Judah. They haven't listened to now. Jeremiah the prophet is speaking of what has happened and what will happen to the southern kingdom. Listen to what he says in verse 16. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. And now for our reading, if you'll turn please to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter six. Beginning to read at verse one. Second Samuel chapter six, beginning to read at verse number one. Again. David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart. Mark that. They set the ark of God Upon a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gebeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gebeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Peruzah unto this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Notice David questioning himself here. How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to shut us in now with yourself to set aside all things, Lord, that this day, Lord, has been following us. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that your word 
would be clear to every heart tonight. That your word would find that lodging place and resting place to be able to take root and bear fruit in the lives of your people. We pray, Lord, if there's one here that does not know your Son as their Savior, we ask you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself the only way that you can through your Spirit and your Word. We pray, Lord, now that you would take, Lord, every distracting thought from us and bind every opposing spirit to thy Word. Oh, God, that Jesus would be exalted and glorified in the house of the Lord tonight. Lord, you alone are worthy. And so we ask it in your name. Amen. Tonight we want to look at new carts, old paths, and ancient landmarks. New carts, old paths, and ancient landmarks. Now, you might have to give me a little bit of leeway here because we're not going to go right into our readings nor our text just yet because we want to look at the book of Exodus and I haven't time to read it. So Exodus 25, we hear that the Lord comes and speaks unto Moses and he lays down instructions and measurements for the tabernacle or the the tent that is in the wilderness in the midst of the nation of Israel. And as he lays these measurements down. He also gives measurements for what's known as the Ark of God or the Ark of Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant. And notice what it says in Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. The Lord says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments, or the furniture that is, thereof even so shall ye make it. God said to Moses, when you're making this tent, and when you're making it, and you're making also this ark, this ark of testimony, make it as I say. Make it according to the things that I show you. For that is of the utmost importance. In other words, what he's saying is, Moses, when a man or a woman want to come unto me, they must come my way, not their own. They must come as I have ordained it, as I have planned it and pre-purposed it. And it's the only way that they can come unto me. We're told that the ark was about 45 inches in length. It was about 27 inches deep and the same 27 inches wide, wood overlaid with gold. And we're told in Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22, listen to what the Lord says, And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there, now this is important, and there, the testimony that I give you, he says, in the way that I have ordained it, in the way I have said it, in the way I have planned it and purposed it. He says, when you come my way, he says, there, I will commune with thee. There, he says, I will commune with thee. In that ark of of God or the ark of Testament was the pot of manna that reminded them of the bread of life that God gave them in the wilderness. And of course, this all speaks of foreknowledge and a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ, prefigures him. 
and the pot of manna, the pot of that bread, as it were, in this would remind them that God supplied for them to keep them alive. Jesus says, I am the bread of God that cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Christ is the bread, the pot of manna that is in that ark also. In that also were the tables of stone of the, the, the Ten Commandments on them and Christ is the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. He is the Word of God personified, made flesh. And also in that was Aaron's rod that budded, blossomed and bloomed. It's just a dead stick. But when it was brought to the tabernacle before the ark, God had chosen Aaron's line to be the Levitical priestly line. And in that, Christ is already prefigured because that dead stick became alive and it became a symbol of the resurrection that Christ would bring to all who die in him, that he would raise them from the, raise them from the dead at the last day. Notice this, he says, there, at this testimony, the testimony wasn't Moses' testimony. It was the testimony of God in the midst of his people. It was the testimony of God in the midst of Israel. And he says, there and only there, he says, I will commune with you. If you want to find God, friend, and you're not saved, the only way you can come to God is the way he has already ordained. The only way a man and a woman can come to God is the way he has already said. And that is through his testimony of Christ on the cross his testimony of Jesus shedding his blood, our manna, the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. Speaking of himself, he says in John chapter 6. And of course, again, he is the fulfillment of the law that you cannot keep. And because sin is a transgression of God's law, and then we see that all of us are sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have been and are transgressors of the law, the divine law of God. And Christ kept the law that you cannot keep. He lived a life that you and I cannot live. And he lived it for us that you and I may be not under the curse of the law, but you and I would live under his grace, even though we fail many occasions every day. And of course, we await the resurrection should we die in Christ. We wait for the glorious resurrection, the blessed hope of every believer who dies in Christ is this, that when he returns again, he will raise us from the dead and we will receive our full redemption. Our whole salvation will be found in Christ and Christ alone. He says, there and only there, he says, will I commune with thee. The ark of God was the meeting place of God with man. And the ark of God was the meeting place of man with God. In all of the earth, in all of the universe, among all the religions, among all the things that man would try to do to comprehend the knowledge of God, he could not know the one and true living God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, save, he says, coming the way I have ordained it. And here it is that I will commune with you. Think about it. Outside of heaven itself, the abode of the Father, the abode of the angels of God, worshiping him. Outside of it, there's nowhere that they could come to meet with God 
save this little room in the middle of the wilderness, save this little room with a little box in it that represents his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be born in Bethlehem. I think this is a wonderful gospel that he's given to us. This is a wonderful truth of God's word. Now notice this. He says there are not many ways, but one way. Christ is exclusively the way to the Father. He says, I am the way, not a way, not a number of ways, and I'm one of them. He didn't say, I am a a certain way, one of many ways. He says, I am exclusively and only uniquely the way to the Father. And no man cometh unto him but by me, he says. If you want to meet Christ, you or the Father, you meet him in Christ, and you meet him at the cross. You meet him where God was manifest in the flesh, and he shed his blood that you and I might be forgiven of all of our sins. This divinely inspired, God-appointed and ordained place was meeting in the tabernacle, and God said, nowhere else will you find me but this place. How do you, if you're not saved, how do you ever expect to find God? People say, I'm trying to find God. I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying to reach heaven. I hope I'm good enough. Listen, God says, you can never be good enough. You can never find it out. You can never work it out. And the only place you can ever find it is in my son. When you come to him and him alone, he says, then you'll find salvation. Listen, Exodus 25 and verse 21. The ark of the testimony or the ark of the tabernacle is mentioned. And then we're told something happened. That when the ark of the covenant was in the midst, in the midst of the tabernacle, then you had the three tribes, north, south, east, and west, encamping around it. God was in the midst of the nation. God was in the midst of his people. And notice this. The ark, when the ark of the covenant was there, God protected his people. When God's presence was in Israel, God not just protected them, but he delivered them from their enemies. God's healing was in the midst. He sent his word and he healed them, we're told, because his presence was in the midst. And God's blessing was there because God was right at the center of all the nation had to do. God was right at the center. And so he said, Since I'm at the center, he says, then blessing comes from me alone. Moses knew the importance of Yahweh's presence in Israel. And after the abomination of the golden calf, when they made calves when Moses was up the mountain, Exodus 32 and then 33, Moses takes, when he comes down later, he takes what's known as the tabernacle or a tent out of the nation. He takes it and he brings it right outside into the wilderness. And they no longer have God's presence in the midst. Rather, God had, as it were, on that tabernacle for that period of time, had written Echabod, the glory is departed because God's anointing was no longer there. Notice this. Moses takes it out and he sets the tent of meeting as it becomes called outside. And those who will serve the Lord, I notice this, those who will serve the Lord, those who desired more of God, those who knew their need of Him, those who would realize not just their need, but their presence, the need of His presence in their very lives, in their homes, in their families, among their people. Every single man and woman who felt 
their need of God had to leave the people that they live with and go outside to the tent of meeting. Now listen, they had to go outside to the tent of meeting. Three things we must take from this. First of all, if you want, if you want brothers and sisters, God's anointed presence in your life, first of all, you must be prepared to set aside all idols and leave them behind and all the idolatrous practices that comes with it. That includes love of self. That includes love of all other things and Christ must be elevated to the first place in your life. Secondly, they must be prepared to leave all their comforts and all their old ways of life. If Christ calls you out, are you ready to leave all and follow him? Be careful before you answer, for he might just call. Be careful before you answer, for he might just call. And he might tell you to leave all that you have and follow me. He said it to that rich young ruler when he came to him and says, Good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And this is what he said. He says, he gives him the commandments and he says, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What yet do I lack? He says, Sell your goods and give it to the poor, all that you have. And come and follow me. And the young man went away sad. And he went away sad. Why? Because he had much goods. The much goods was his idol. The much goods was his idol. And he went away sad. Listen, the love of God is not enough to save you if you reject Christ. Now you take note of that. God is love. God is love. And yes, he is. But love is not all that God is. And the love of God is not enough. It takes a man and woman to receive the love of God that was manifest for them when he gave his only begotten son to die at the place called Calvary for them. Unrequited love will bring a man and a woman under the condemnation of the Father, under his wrath. And that's something, friends, you need to know. And we say, what are you saved from? You're saved from your sin. Absolutely, yes. Man and a woman in Christ are saved from their sin. Absolutely, yes. When they're in Christ, they are saved from their sin. But I'm going to tell you, and you don't hear it much, you're saved from God. What do you mean? His wrath. You're saved from the wrath of God. People forget these things, that those who are outside of Christ will come under the wrath of God. And God says that in his word. So you must be prepared to leave all your comforts and all your ways of life if you want God's presence, more of him. For he will challenge you. He will test you. He will try you. And he will say, do you want it? Here it is. Then let's just put this to the test. How much do you want me? How much do you want him? Christian, how much do you want him? Lord, I want more of you. Do you? How much? Are you willing for him to speak to you right now? And then the heart goes, oh, no, no, not yet, Lord. You might ask me something too hard for me. Are you willing to stand for him right now? in the face of political correctness and apostasy, are you willing to say, no, it's Christ for me and there is none else. It's Christ for me and there is no other. Yes, 
Yes, thirdly, they must be prepared to take their stand, to stake their claim, and to be separated people for God. Salvation is full. It's by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. It is full and it's free. But I can tell you, anointing costs. It costs. Separated lives cost. Cost you your friends. It'll cost your friends. It'll cost your loved ones. It'll cost you. But if you can get it tonight, I know I'm speaking to Christians here, but if you can get it tonight, if no one else comes above Christ, if nothing else, whether that be even your finances and your house and all that you labor for, your job or whatever it may be, if nothing else counts at the cost of Christ, then he will freely give it. And you're willing to lay it down for him. Understand the seriousness of this now. The tabernacle is also rendered, as I said, a tent. And, and, and this was put outside Israel's encampment in the wilderness. Of course, this became in Jerusalem, the temple in the middle of the city. And this became known as, as they went out, they had to leave the, the people, they had to leave their kith and kin, those who were lethargic and those who were just dead, those who didn't want to know the things of God, those who couldn't care less, they had to say, you know what? Well, I do, and it means so much to me. And they had to leave and walk out into the wilderness. Are you ready? Would you do it for the cause of Christ in your workplace? Would you do it for the cause of Christ with your family? Would you do it for the cause of Christ wherever you are, whatever it would cost to say, I'm ready, Lord, because I need you above all others and above all else and above all things. And I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing to go out into the wilderness because I know you're going to meet me there. You see, that tent meant that you went out, God promised to meet. God says, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. It was called the Ohel Mohid. That's what the name of this tent was. The Ohel Mohid, it means it's the meeting place of God's people. I notice this. This was the ecclesia in the wilderness, as it were. This was the church in the wilderness. This was the called out ones in the wilderness. This were those who the congregation would come out among the people of Israel, and they would walk right out and say, it's Christ for me, it's God for me. I must follow after him, hard after him, as the heart panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, not for a dead God. Oh, a thirsty soul. A thirsty soul after God will drink deep at the wells of salvation, and a thirsty soul will drink deep the things of the Spirit of God. How thirsty are we? Are we thirsty enough to drink deep? You know, Hel Mahid was the assembling of God's people. It was their meeting place with God as being separate. Listen now, from sinful, idolatrous brethren. It doesn't matter what everybody's doing. It doesn't matter where everyone's going. 
It doesn't matter about the flow of things in the nation. It doesn't matter about what even Moses said. It's what God says. It's the word of God says. We must be willing. We must be willing to leave all that which is wrong to live right for Christ. They go out into this tabernacle or this tent of meeting. Listen to what it says in the scriptures. Exodus 33 and verse 7 says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp or outside the camp, afar off from the camp. Are you willing to travel? Are you willing not just to take a step out of it and then a step back in again if it suits you? Are you willing to say, Lord, cut me out on a limb and let me go? Because there, Lord, I'll meet you. That's what they're saying. I don't care what the government think. You're more important. I don't care what all the churchy Hannity people say, Lord, in, in, in Israel. I, 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 I need you. You're more important. I don't care what anyone says. I need you. You're more important, Lord. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of congregation. And it came to pass, listen, that everyone which sought the Lord went out. Isn't that amazing? Everyone that sought the Lord, that's not everyone went out. Everyone that sought him. You know, there'll be people in every congregation, there'll be people in every walk of life, and there'll be men and women just spotted here and there who are hungry for God. They're hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for more of his spirit. They're hungry for a, a walk with him. They're hungry to be close to him and to know him more. Paul says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> I'm hungry for this. I don't want dead religion. I'm sick and tired of lifeless, dead, godless religion. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus, the Holy Ghost here. I want him in my life. If I can't have Christ, I want nothing else then. Oh, friend, here, these men and women were hungry. They were willing to go out. And the Lord spake with Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned it again into the camp. I love that because when he starts to realize, oh, the presence of God. Lord, I thought I'm going to go out here and take this tent out. And when I go out into this tent, Lord, are you sure you're going to be there? Come on, brothers and sisters, in a world of uncertainty in your life, sometimes you feel you're going out into your own tent here, but you know that God is leading you and you're saying, are you sure, Lord, because I'm not? And the problem with it is, is that we don't go the full way we don't go the full way with him. Rather, we'll go halfway to see the tent rather than enter into his presence. And there Moses met him face to face. What I love about this, listen to what it says. In chapter Exodus 33 and verse 15, Moses says, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. Verse 16. For in shall it, shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. Oh, salvation by grace through faith. They went out to seek the Lord and he poured his grace upon them. 
You know what that caused Moses to do? Go back into the camp. <laughs> go back into the nation. It caused them to go back into Israel. It says, notice, it is not that in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separate, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Moses is saying, I know you, Lord, and it makes me different. Israel was different. And he says, Lord, when your presence is with us, that's what counts. That's what sanctifies. That's what makes us different in the world than all the other nations. You see, Israel's God, Yahweh, Jehovah God, was in the midst of the top and the tent, in the midst of the nation. But all the other nations and religions around had their gods outside, their so-called gods outside, and they went up in the hills. And they went into little clumps of trees. And they went down by riversides, out of their nation. But here, uniquely, God, Israel's God was in their midst. But when the tent went out, it was a sign of terrible times for God's presence was no longer with them. And they'd become like the heathen. They'd become like those around them. I love it when the Lord says in chapter 33, Exodus 33 and verse 14, he says, my presence shall go with thee. (laughs) See the word presence, it's my face. It means my ponim is the word. Moses, you go, my ponim is with you. You know what that is? It's the face of God. Now God is everywhere. We looked this morning, he's omnipresent. God's spirit is everywhere. But when we worship and that anointed sense of his presence comes, you know when you're singing and you're praising and you just realize God is in this place. God is always in this place. He's just revealing himself to you. Here's the difference. When we sense that, it gives the idea God has turned his face to you. God has turned his face to you. And he says, Moses, I'll turn my face with you. When they see your face, they'll see mine. We know that the Lord Jesus is a type of this tabernacle. We're told in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus is God himself, manifest in the flesh, that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, we're told that Jesus is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is that sanctifier, the Holy Ghost. He is the baptizer in the Spirit. He is the healer of the body and the savior of the soul, and he's a soon-coming king. Praise him. Now, that's my introduction. This is my last night. So if you shout at me for being late, I don't care. (laughs) Listen. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a foreshadowing of Christ, has been captured by the Philistines and God has smote the Philistines with hemorrhoids. And so they make little 
golden hemorrhoids as a, an offering to God to try and appease him. How many people are making silly things like golden hemorrhoids to try and appease God when it doesn't work? See, God isn't appeased. He's well-pleased because he says, this is my son in whom I am well-pleased. And so David realizes we're going to be defeated in battle. We're under pressure here. But if we had the Ark of the Covenant brought into Jerusalem, we have the presence of God brought into Jerusalem. And we will be victorious again. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, look what it says in verse 3. And they set the Ark of God upon a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, that was in Gebeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. So here we have Ahio and Uzzah with the new cart. And one is going before to drive and the other one is walking, making sure things are okay with it. And here we have the ark of testimony on a new cart. Isn't that lovely? I mean, they've put plenty of work into this. They've done their best to make sure it's a new cart. They could have got an old cart, but just to reverence God, they thought they'd make a new cart. Just to make it look good, they thought they'd bring it in in a new cart. Just to flower it up a bit, they thought, we'll bring it in in a new cart. Oh boy. Oh boy. Israel are playing on their harps and their psalteries and their timbrels and their cornets and there's nothing wrong with that. They're already plenty of worship happening. Surely God will be pleased with this. Brothers and sisters, you see, God didn't say there'd be a new carts in Israel. He says, when you carry my ark of the testimony, the priests who are ordained and appointed are to bear it with staffs or staves going through it upon their shoulders. And man thought, you know what? We'll just do it our way. Let's bring in the presence of God on a new cart. Let's bring in the presence of God our way and what we think. And listen, God said, if you want me to meet you, I'll meet you there, but you come my way. You come my way or not at all. Let's bring in the new cart. So they bring in this new cart and of course we know that it stumbles with the oxen. It wasn't sure-footed. You see, anything that's not ordained of God has no foundation. Anything that is not ordained of him has no foundation. It will not stand. And he didn't say bring a new cart. He says carry it on the priest's shoulders. I have ordained it this way. And so they bring it in the new cart. You know, Today we're seeing many new carts. New cart of prosperity. New cart of worldliness in the church. New cart of entertainment and games. All sorts of new carts. But the Bible says, preach the word. You cannot bring the presence of God in on a new cart. Stop trying to substitute the presence of the Holy Ghost with the entertainment, 
with things that apply to the flesh. They conjure up feelings that they say, well, you know, this is a way. No, it says, preach the word. Be instant and in season. Out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and so on. There's a new card of even the charismatic head-shaking stuff, you know, rolling around the floors and clucking like chickens and barking like dogs. And they're saying this is the Holy Ghost. It's not the Holy Ghost! It's not the Holy Ghost. It's called holy. Because he's holy. The new card came in with the ark on the back of it. And all we hear is new card this, new card that, new card the other thing. We'll do everything and anything. Bring God in on a new cart. Do you know the Holy Ghost rides furiously when he's riding his own chariot? This Bible is the chariot of the Holy Ghost. And when the Bible is opened and the Word of God is preached and expounded, he brings himself. And he rides furiously to reach the lost. And he rides furiously to bring his anointing and his protection. And he rides furiously that he may recover the sight of the blind and raise the dead and heal the sick. Friend, don't accept a new cart. Listen, if you hear anything, don't you accept a new cart. It's the word of God. And they preach Jesus unto them. Preaching the word. We're told that as they came, it says, the oxen shook and stumbled. And verse 6 tells them, when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and he died there by the ark. Here's the strange thing, the ark. Now, I want you to understand this. The ark that was in the Philistine encampment they got smoked with hemorrhoids. That's bad enough, isn't it? I think so. But an Israelite got smoked to death. Why? He should have known better. They should have known better. They had the oracles of God before them. They had the scrolls of the word and the prophets. We're told that Uzzah, who died, put forth his hand. See, see the name, his friend, Ahio. You know what his name means? Brotherly. Brotherly. And this man going along beside him drove the new cart. He's driving it. We're going to drive this home. We're going to take this new cart and drive it in. And, and this is going to be the presence of his anointing. one bump in the road soon shook it to its foundations and look team I love the worship I play I worship myself you know that but I have something to tell you team and you know this too and I'm saying it in love to you you know that but brothers and sisters listen we can worship and as we much as we love it 
and we can do all manner of things and programs, and that's all right. If that's what, it, what you just want to do, that's okay. But I can tell you, do you see when you go home and close your door? Do you see when you go to that doctor's appointment and they tell you you've got a sickness on the death? Do you mean you see you're told that there's no hope for you? Do you see when your family's in turmoil and you don't know what to do and you close that door and you're on your own? It's the chariot of the Holy Ghost, not a new cart that's going to help you. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Holy Ghost. This brother looked brotherly Ohio he looked the part. He looked the part. It looked well. It looked fantastic. And there's the musicians playing. And here is brotherly, uh, Brother Ohio coming in. And suddenly there's a stumble. The foundations are, are crumbling because it's not ordained of God. And of course, usually he puts forth his hands. You know what he was doing? He was trying to put man's power to the power of God. He was trying to add what man can do to what God has already ordained. And men try to add to what Christ has done on the cross in order that they may be saved. They try to add to the cross work of Christ and to the blood of Christ. Friend, there is nothing to add to. And even as one old Puritan said, to add anything to the cross work of Christ is a dangerous addition. We cannot add anything to what Christ has done. That's why we have the blood in the book. Now, I might be outdated. And I may be old-fashioned, but I'll tell you, I'll still keep preaching it. Whether it's the one or one thousand, I'll keep preaching the blood in the book. Thank you. I just want to round this up and we'll close it. Yes, Ohio, he means brotherly, user, means strength. He put his own strength to what God had already says won't stand. It doesn't matter how hard we try. If it's not of God, it won't stand. In our study tonight, we want to look down at how, how do we tell David as it were if we could in verse 9, he says, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? Now he works it out. And he works it out by he goes and he slays the blood of animals. And the blood of the animals is all over the road said to the folk a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago or so there, that when we were in the United States and you're driving down the big highways in the United States, there's actually, you know, our roadkill is maybe a badger or a fox or a rabbit or something. like Their, their roadkill in Tennessee was big full deers. I mean, massive deers just lying at the side of the road. And some of them, I don't want to be gross, but they were just all over the road. Full, growing deers. But see, when their blood was out and with the traffic going, there wasn't one spot of that road for maybe 15 yards that wasn't stained with blood. There's blood everywhere. So David finds out how to bring it. And he looks at the old paths. He goes to the ancient landmarks which his fathers had set. And when he sees it, he starts to take it. He says, right now, guys, you used to get it on your shoulders. This is what Moses has proclaimed. This is what Father has said. And so he gets the Ark of the Covenant on the priest's shoulders. And as they enter into Jerusalem, he slays an animal and the blood's everywhere. And he slays another one, another eight feet, and another one, eight feet, and another, and another, 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 and another, until he reaches the temple and the place is covered in blood. How do we bring in the very anointed presence of God? 
We say, Lord, we're coming by the blood, the blood of the Lamb. He has consecrated a new and living way for us through his precious shed blood. That's not moved from the blood of the Lamb. That's preach the blood. Listen, I'm a bloody preacher, and I'll preach the blood. I'll preach it. He says here, how's the ark going to come? Well, you know, in our two other scriptures, Jeremiah 16, pardon me, 6 and 16 says, Stand ye in the ways and ask for the old paths, who's lost and going away, and walk therein. Gives the idea of someone who's lost and going right now, I think we've lost our way a bit. I stand here for a minute. Church, pause. Pause. In the whole of the mindset, in the whole of the, the world, and all it throws at the church, pause. And say, Lord, we've gone astray. Lord, we, we, we've walked away. Lord, we've, we've brought new carts in. What do we do, Lord? He says, now ask, he says, for the old paths. You see, the old paths are starting to grow over, but see when they're always uh, being walked on, it keeps all the grass and the weeds down. That's easy to see, but it's hard to see the old paths anymore. But you go home and say, Lord, show me the old path. And I'll tell you, see if you're earnest, he'll show you. You know where it'll lead you? To Calvary. It will lead you to Jesus at Calvary. Stand and ask and see. And he says, walk in this. Walk in this. And of course, finishing. The ancient landmark, you know, it was a, a very precious thing in Israel. The ancient landmark marked out boundaries where according to the protection of the laws of the land, that was that person's land. I could also tell you how far you were away from the nearest point or city or, or town. And people would have came sometimes and tried to remove their landmark just to get a little bit more, to encroach into their land a bit more. And when that was found out, the whole nation came in an uproar, we're told. How dare you remove the ancient landmark? My brothers and sisters, in this nation we live in, in this nation God's presence has blessed us through his word and his spirit the preaching of the blood in the book but now but now the Lord has said now I'm going to remove my presence and our nation has had its heritage removed and our nation has had its faith ripped out of it and you know what's done they've removed the ancient landmark of the cross they've removed the ancient landmark and listen the churches are allowing it there's coming a time before the coming of the Lord. I still believe it. The coming of the prophet, the ministry of the prophet Elijah, the spirit of Elijah in the church. God today is raising up men. He's raising up women who are going to be anointed of his spirit, who will go out to the tent, as it were, seek his face and bring it out and say, Lord, now show me that we may go back to the camp, that we may tell Israel of their sin before God and that we may call them through the old paths, that they'll walk in it, that we'll bring them and reset the ancient landmark. And Lord, there'll never be a new cart. But we will carry the anointing of God as it were on our shoulders and we will walk 
according to his word and his way and his will, we will walk by the blood, the blood of the Lamb. New carts, old paths, ancient landmarks. Brothers and sisters, this is my last time preaching here. And I'll tell you, I told you this morning, I've worked it out, I've preached almost 1,500 times to you. See if this is the only one you've ever heard and the only one you ever remember. Don't let new cards do it. Stick to the book. For Jesus' name's sake and his glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.